0: More than half of students on campuses today are the first in their families to go to college. How do these students succeed during time when college is more expensive than ever? I'm Kelsey Timmerman. And I'm J.R. Jameson. Today on The Facing Project, we'll discuss first, but never alone. College can seem like a foreign land if you're a first-generation college student, a place where people speak a different language, at least figuratively and have hidden cultural norms. In the last 30 years, due to an ever-changing American economy and push for post-secondary education, the number of first-generation students has risen by 25%. Today, 56% of college students will be the first in their families to graduate with an undergraduate degree. For me, attending and succeeding in college was expected. I applied to one college only, shout out to Miami University, and I got in. But JR, I've gathered that your experience was a bit different. Yeah, I was one of those first-gen students. When I started college in
1: 1997, I barely made it. In fact, after my first semester, I was put on academic probation. Thanks. Yeah. But 23 years later, I can proudly say that I not only hold a bachelor's degree, but also a master's degree. And that was only possible because others saw potential in me and showed me the ropes. There was Elizabeth Dalton in the English department who taught my freshman remedial English course. Wow and who saw potential my writing and encouraged me to major in English. I didn't, but I did minor in creative writing, and her constant cheerleading kept me showing up to class and finding a home there in that department, where I eventually met Barbara Bogue, who helped me hone my writing
0: craft. Barbara Bogue. She had a class at Ball State, writing in the community, that in many ways helped inspire The Facing Project. I met her before I even met you. Funny that she played a key role in your journey.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, Barbara is a legend and a national treasure. Seriously, though, without these folks, I don't know if I would have made it. I didn't know the hidden rules. I didn't know how to network. I made so many fumbles, but having mentors showed me the way. And they told me that I mattered and that made a whole world of difference. And you know, my story isn't just a one-off, an anecdotal experience. According to the Chronicle of Higher Education, research shows that the first six weeks of college are crucial and will determine if a student stays or goes. And the most important factor during those six weeks? Finding connections, like friendships, mentors, social clubs, and access to faculty. Colleges and universities are recognizing this. And over the last decade, many have opened offices and centers to support first-generation students. In fact, the National Association for Student Affairs Professionals in Higher Education opened their own Center for First-Generation Student Success. It provides those who direct first-gen programs on college campuses with training and
0: a broader network of resources. But is college worth it? I mean, I think it is. I majored in anthropology, which seems to be a consistent front-runner on those lists of what not to major in if you want to be a responsible adult. Well, that was me. And a little confession, I never got a job with that degree, but anthropology inspired my curiosity and gave me the tools to pursue my own questions, which led to my career. And more than that, I think my liberal arts degree enhanced my life and made the world more interesting. But those are kind of the touchy-feeling liberal arts arguments. So let's get down to the numbers. The average college graduate earns $78,000 per year compared to $45,000 per year for those with a high school diploma. This $30,000 difference has held true for the last 20 years. But $30,000, that's also the average amount of debt that the typical college student who borrowed money for school graduates with. For many of us, college is the second largest expense next to buying a home. So, can students today afford to go to college? Can they afford not to go to college? Which brings us to today's story from a student in Mount Pleasant,
1: Michigan. It was shared anonymously and was part of a Facing project led by Central Michigan
2: University. 47,000 Things. An anonymous story from Facing College at Central Michigan University. Performed by Amanda Hummer. My mom wanted to be a novelist. Her love for literature influenced me to read. I read a lot of books and plays. My favorite being A Raisin in the Sun. When we were between homes, we weren't strangers to living in shelters. As a kid, you don't really know what's going on. It was all an adventure to me, but to my mom, I'm sure it wasn't. Mom's dad was Chippewa. My grandmother was born to a military family in Germany, so they traveled all over. My mom was born and raised in Memphis, so pretty much all of her family resides in the South. I hadn't heard from my dad since I was three or four. When I was around 17, we talked again. He's of Haitian Creole descent, but I don't know much more beyond that. I've lived in Wisconsin and Lansing with my grandmother and in New York with my aunt. I was moving every year of my life. When I was in seventh grade, we got a house in Lansing. My mom met my stepdad and I stayed there through the end of high school. My mom always said that education was a priority. High school was really important to me because I met my group of best friends in band. They shaped who I am today. My sisters took school seriously until they got caught up with life. Both got pregnant at 16 and decided to focus on their families. I was the first to earn a high school diploma and attend a four-year university.
0: So our storyteller made it to college, but there are a lot of barriers for students like her. Cost is one of them. In the last 10 years, the fees at four-year public schools have increased by 45% and 26% at private schools. Students often have to stretch to fund their education. And if you're a first-gen college student, which typically means your family is earning 40% less, that stretch can be a challenge. In 2018, 56% of college students faced housing insecurity in the previous 12 months, and 17% reported being homeless during that period. Universities are welcoming more low-income, first-gen and minority students at the same time costs are going up. It's understandable then that 25% of first-gen students drop out after the first year. And admirable, as in the case of our storyteller, that 75% succeed.
2: When I got to college, I didn't have any family or friends to lean on. I didn't know anyone. During my freshman year, I found out my scholarships hadn't gone through. I was crying in the hallway. I thought maybe college wasn't the place for me. But then a man walked out of an office and asked me why I was crying. I told him about my situation. Mr. Davis asked if I was a first-generation college student and if I was Pell Grant eligible. He then asked if I had heard of the Pathways program because it wasn't too late to sign up for a first-year experience class. In a second, he helped me. I thought to myself, what could a whole class on how to do college teach me? And I've been involved in Pathways ever since.
1: The centers and offices to support first-generation students that I talked about in the opening of the show, like the ones that the National Association for Student Affairs Professionals in Higher Education supports, that's what Pathways to Student Academic Success is at Central Michigan University. Pathways students attend classes together, have faculty and staff mentors, and the office helps first-gen students develop personalized academic plans to help them determine what to study and what fields to go into after college.
2: I decided to study anthropology to learn about other cultures. I want my area of study to be Haitian and African-American affairs. I'm interested in working for the UN and the NAACP with Black Lives Matter, maybe the Peace Corps. I want to make a change. I want to be someone who's on the front lines and fighting the good fight, hit the ground running and help people, be someone a kid could look up to. I want to provide resources to families in need. I want to advocate for diversity and inclusion for everyone. But right now, I have 47,000 different things on my mind. I'm working 30 hours a week so that I can be able to help my family if they need it. I work hard to be another role model in my nieces and nephews' lives and provide them with the support I wish I had as a child. I feel like my mission on this earth is to help others because I didn't have that as a kid.
0: the storyteller, she is the last of her family to be a first-generation college student. We want to welcome to the show Mary Henley, the Director of Gaining Early
1: Awareness and Readiness for Undergraduate Programs, or GEAR UP, and Pathways to Academic Student Success at Central Michigan University. Thank you for joining us.
3: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Not only do you direct a program for first-generation college students, but you also led a facing project, and the one that curated the story that we used in today's show. What made you decide to take on this particular project?
3: You know, um, we took on this particular project because it was a way for us to tell the story of our students and also bring recognition to the program and let other first-generation students know that we are here on the campus of Central Michigan University.
0: Do you feel like uh, you learned anything new from the stories that came up through this project, or do you feel like that the campus community learned anything new?
3: Definitely. I think what the campus community learned was that with all the stories we told, there were just basic things that students had in common. You know, they come seeking knowledge, they come into a new culture, and they come trying to open doors to the rest of their lives. The stories allows the community to see how the community can contribute to this process and to these students.
0: Yeah, just curious, have there been any uh, ongoing like impacts or the stories still used in any way?
3: the stories are still used for our incoming students when we want to just simply share what we do uh, when we want to share the why this is why we do this because we were able to have impact on these students and telling their stories allows others who are coming behind them to also share their stories
1: have any of the students who are coming in new to the program when they hear these stories Have any of them shared um, how that's helped them?
3: Yes. You know, they talk about, you know, these stories and the similarities. And it allows them to share because many of them think, oh, I'm the only one who do not know, you know, how to navigate a campus. I am the only one. And these stories allow them to, you know, share their experiences and, and be okay with sharing those experiences.
0: Great. Um, So before you become a first-generation college student, you actually have to get to college. So what are some of the challenges that folks face as they make that journey?
3: You know, I was a first-generation college student. I've been doing this work for a long time. I came to Central Michigan University in 1979 as a 17-year-old college student, and yes, I am giving away my age. (laughs) But as a 17-year-old college student from an urban community, my family uh, did not go to college. I had no direction. I had no idea what I was walking into. So I have lived this experience many, many years ago. And there are many pitfalls that happen and many pitfalls that I experience. And what I am able to do from this position and with this program is to sort of carve a smoother path for these students coming in, saying, here are the resources, here's some direction. We're not trying to be your parent and tell you how to experience your college life. We just wanna let you know the resources that are available so that you can feel comfortable utilizing those and navigate more quickly through the different educational levels.
0: So unless it's too personal, you don't have to answer. But what were some of the pitfalls and challenges that you faced? Like, what was that like for you, even you know, getting into college and then that first day on campus?
3: Oh gosh, the pitfalls. Well, you know, coming in without the knowledge of how to apply for scholarships. I was a pretty decent student, but I came in with no scholarships because my family didn't know and i didn't have those connections in order to seek those scholarships so you come in you know not understanding what it will cost to go to college in a year you know about 24 25000 and when you talk to students coming in and you ask so how much does it cost and how do you pay for that many of them can't connect those dots mm. knowing what scholarships are knowing uh, about financial aid and what is available to them to pay for college. So that was a pitfall. So I came here, didn't have the scholarships because I didn't apply for them in high school. So there's a gap in how you pay. So you get a job, many students do this. They get a job in the community, they work a lot of hours and then they can't focus on the reason they're here, their education. So those are some of the pitfalls. Coming in and not having the correct counseling or the correct courses. Simply not knowing what you want to major in. And simply knowing that it's okay to come to college without a major. You will have an opportunity to figure it out. Not understanding how much you have to study. And then not getting the grades that you would like. Mm. Those are some of the pitfalls.
0: So for you, what made you think that... um what inspired you to go, go to college in the first place when you didn't have that, maybe that example in your family?
3: My family, I was one of six children, single mother. And we always knew, and she always shared that education was the way out of our environment, out of the cycle. So I always knew that I wanted to go to college and that I would go to college and getting good grades in high school was the way. I just didn't have that bridge in terms of how to get there. But I got there. And then once I got onto campus, I I struggled looking for resources. But with programs like Pathways to Academic Student Success, we're set up to connect with many of the students in high school, middle and high school, and then once they get on the campus of Central Michigan University, we then advise them. We help them to select the best courses and we give them that information they would probably get from parents had parents attended college. And we, we just sort of help them with those resources.
1: Mary, I love your personal story so much, and I can relate to that because I, too, I'm one of six children, and I'm a first-generation college student. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I remember going home for Christmas my freshman year of college and feeling like I had this experience that no one else in my family had had, and I wasn't quite sure... How to articulate that to them. And I also felt kind of guilty. Like I was I was in something that was going to make me move towards something else that maybe others in my family didn't have the opportunity to do. And so the communication there just felt odd. I remember that first time going home. And I felt almost <laughs> bad when I went back to college. How do you help students navigate that? Or do you see that still in today's first gen students when they have programs available to them? And what what kind of navigation do you help provide?
3: You know, we, that is one of the main things we talk about, especially that big first holiday break, where now you've been on campus and you've had freedom to come and go and you go, you've had an opportunity to set your own rules. You've been studying all of this information and now you go home to your families and they're looking at you and maybe saying things to you, like, why do you speak so properly now? You're, you've changed you're different as if it is a negative thing and it's your education shining through. But how do you share that? I did an article um, a few years back and it it was called um, navigating uh, the first holiday break Hmm. and, you know, setting up, setting up conversation and communication because many of our students, they go home and they no longer have a room. Mm-hmm. Siblings have taken over their rooms. They go home and they fall back into, well, the expectation is high school rules. They don't know anything about college rules. And so just talking with the students about how to navigate that return home as adults and how to share the experience. But instead of waiting to go home, we, in- encourage students like if there is a siblings weekend or a parents weekend invite your parents to your work into your world so that they can have some exposure and some experience and then they can kind of understand what it is what your world now looks like and bring them into your world instead of carving out something that's totally separate Mm
1: -hmm. do you see a drop in return or retention after that break? is—is is there? Do you see that it's harder for students to come back to college after that first return?
3: I actually think it's the opposite hmm. because once students have had that first semester and they go home for that long break, they say to themselves, in many cases, I like my college life. I value it. I value my independence, and I want to keep it. Hmm. So that long break, so the first winter break, and then many students will go home for that first summer break. And they'll go home and they'll work in the summer and they live home all summer. At that point, they may say, next summer, I'm going to do an internship. Next summer, I'm going to do a study abroad. So I feel like you know, it's baby steps. You get that first break, you get that first summer, and then it just helps students gain their confidence about what they're going to do next, where they're going. Mm-hmm. And family will be there for them.
0: And, and so kind of back to your own story, how did your education impact your family?
3: It impacted my family. I was one of six children. And I think at the time, I wasn't as aware of the impact. My family moved uh, to Mississippi when I was a sophomore. So I was in college and then my family moved. And so I was the only one left in Michigan. That was very, very difficult because then I didn't have family to go to on the weekend. It just sort of sped up my need to grow up and to figure things out and how I was going to do it for myself.
0: Do you have any particular stories of a student who started and uh, now has gone on to do, you know, start, started with those challenges that a first-generation college student comes across and then has gone on to, to do things that you're amazed by or that really stand out to you?
3: Yes, yes, definitely. What was the story 47 Screws or something like that.
0: <laughs> 47,000 Things is, is the title of the story. 47,000 Things. But then
3: there was another one that talked about a student who had scoliosis and had mm. bolts in her spine. Mm-hmm. And she uh, was a first generation student. Wow. It was one of our stories. And so that particular story, that student graduated from CMU. She went on to Wayne State um, and got the master's degree and now has her white coat and is doing very very well. Wow. wow. They may come into the program thinking you know they don't they don't have everything they need to be successful. But what they discover is that each student is special and has a lot to offer. And once we can kind of figure out what that student excels in, and give them areas where they can be confident. It is wonderful to watch those students give back to the students coming behind them. They come out and they volunteer for um, college visits for middle and high school students, providing those experiences and that exposure. Then they gain leadership skills, they gain confidence to move forward to graduate programs, doctoral studies, study abroad. Um, it just opens up their world.
0: That's great. So we hear a lot about the cost of college increasing. And so it sounds like you've been in academia now for a bit. Um, how has that increased cost impacted first-gen students?
3: It has significantly impacted first-gen students because they have to make more choices up front. So do I go to... A trade school, or do I go to community college first because that may be cheaper? Or do I, you know, what do I do at the middle and high school level in order to make sure I'm applying for as many scholarships as possible so that I am able to afford to go to a four year institution or go out of state if that's what you choose? So the increasing price of college, it just requires a lot more thought and decisions, you know, at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, at a time when I'm not sure if students are as prepared to make those decisions. So do I stay home? Do I, you know, get scholarships? Do I take out loans? What do I do? And, and those are very big decisions. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm thinking back to when I was a high school student, and this would have been in the mid-90s, and I remember my guidance counselor then wasn't Uh, I guess, well-equipped to uh, coach someone like me toward scholarships or even toward college. And I feel like that has changed. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the work that you do, uh, if at all, with with high schools and those first-gen students to find a pathway to higher education?
3: We work hand-in-hand with our admissions office. And we offer what's called college day programs, where students have the opportunity to come to campus, to experience um, Central Michigan University in a day. They have an opportunity to meet with colleges and departments and to learn about very specific scholarships that are available to them. We get mentors and college students to work with them to tell their financial story, meaning if it costs this much in a year, how do you pay for that? Mm-hmm. And so talking specifically about, you know, filling out your FAFSA and making sure that you have access to everything. Talk about the different types of scholarships that they're actually getting and what it takes, you know, to keep those. Academics, it's the bottom line. So middle and high school Making sure that you're taking those challenging courses, that you're getting prepared in order to compete for the scholarships, because that's the money you don't have to pay back. That is the money you want. We start that messaging very, very early with wow. middle and high school visits. We have our Fire Up Fridays here on campus that's sponsored by the university. They do a wonderful job. When we're talking scholarships, we're talking what you need to do now in order to be to prepare for your future, and that you, even as a seventh and eighth grader, have some control. Because if you, you know, achieve academically at seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, then the colleges are competing for you. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and middle we, school, you know, yeah. And we
3: present that. At this point, everyone's telling you what to do with your lives. But just think about it. You have some control. Pass that test. Pass that class. You know, have a 4.0 semester. Keep doing that. And then the big colleges are competing with you, for you, because they're coming with the dollars because they want you.
0: That's great. I'm going to have my uh, uh, daughter who's going to restart middle school next year listen to that. <laughs> I, I, it seems so early, like middle school, to be thinking about college, but uh, the sooner the better, it sounds like. Yeah.
3: Very real. Very real.
0: Do you find in your work with
1: first-gen students this early outreach, do you find that the students are more likely to attend a college or university in the geographic area where they grew up, or do you find um, that it doesn't matter?
3: You know, it doesn't matter. I think it's about the fit. When you hit a campus and it is your fit in terms of the degree the major, the people, you know, what you're comfortable with, I think the fit is the most important thing. And when all of those things come together, the student will know this is the place for me and that's why we encourage students to do the college visits you know there there are online tours and things that you can do but there's nothing like boots on the ground on a campus to know if it's for you mm-hmm.
0: Well, I really love that you're using your story to uh, help other students uh, that that you can relate to. And I think that's really critical to what we try to do at The Facing Project to help people share their stories so other people can learn from them. In this particular story that we shared in this episode... Um, you know, students crying in the hallway, and there's a Mr. Davis yes. there who just walked out of the room mm-hmm. and and was ready to step forward and help. Uh, took the time to help the student and set them on this path. Did and you're that Mr. Davis? It sounds like for for many many students. Yes. Did you have a Mr. Davis in your in your path?
3: You know, I did not have Mr. Davis, but Mr. Davis is the academic advisor for the Pathways Program. So his mm. job is. You know, is to reach out to the students and try to figure out who is first generation, what are their challenges, and what are their needs. So we're always on the lookout for students, and if we have a student that looks like they're in distress, we're going to stop and try to figure out, okay, what is happening with the student, what resources are available, and um, how can we help the student to to get out of distress and the thing about that it's is that it's, that is the campus of Central Michigan University. That is who we are. That is what we do through orientation, through everyday life. If we see that, we're going to step in and we're going to say, okay, That's great. who do you belong to? What, what can I do to help with your distress? Because we are here for you.
1: That's perfect.
3: And we're very serious about that.
1: Mary Hinley, Director of Gear Up and Pathways to Academic Student Success at Central Michigan University. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you again for having me.
0: Thanks, Mary. Really appreciate it. <music> to listen to past episodes of this program,
1: visit indianapublicradio.org slash The Facing Project. From there, you can subscribe
0: to the podcast where you'll get episodes of The Facing Project delivered to your device each month. Listeners can contribute stories or volunteer to share the stories of others with The Facing Project that may appear on the show. More information at facingproject.com slash action. To continue the conversation about this episode, find us on Facebook at The Facing Project. The Facing Project is recorded at Indiana Public Radio at Ball State University in Muncie,
1: Indiana, and is produced by Sean Ashcraft. The show is distributed nationally through PRX. We are your hosts, Kelsey Timmerman and J.R. Jameson. And until next time, we wish you the courage to share your own story and the empathy to listen to others.